Today on Talking Travel, we feel the need, the need for speed. High-speed rail is booming, particularly in Europe, where billions are being invested to keep rail on track for the future. So, what can Aussie travellers expect in the years to come and how will rail meet its sustainability targets? Today, we'll discuss how different European countries are prioritising rail for short and long journeys and what other amazing innovations are coming further down the line. Welcome to Talking Travel, your home for all the big stories, major interviews, and a little bit of gossip from the world of travel with your hosts, John Underwood and Matt Lennon. Hello, everyone. I'm John Underwood, Managing Editor of Travel Talk, Australia's favourite travel news magazine. And I'm Matt Lennon, Digital Editor of Travel Talk. Thanks for joining us on Talking Travel once again. Now, John, you like to travel in style when, when you're overseas. I think even your passport now says Mr. Upgrade. So what are your thoughts on Europe's rail network? Give me a lie flat bed and I'm happy, Matt. But there is plenty to like about Europe's trains. You're right, they're always on time. There's plenty of space. The seats are comfortable. And often when I reach my destination, I'm already in the middle of town. So how can you go wrong? They certainly do it well, don't they? And it's only going to get better when you look at what's in development. New trains, new stations, new tracks, new technology. I'm sure one day the trains will even drive themselves if they're not already. Well, I guess today we'll be able to tell us more about that. On today's episode, we're chatting with Rail Europe's General Manager Australia, Richard Leonard. And joining us live from Amsterdam is Eurail Research Analyst, Jody Bauer. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Uh, now, Richard, there's no doubt rail travel has an enduring popularity, especially with Aussie travellers. Um, why do you think Aussies embrace this form of transport so readily? Well, I think it's um, part of the fact that, A, we're very lucky in Australia that we're dedicated to travel and Europe has always been high on the bucket list. Um, and the fact that Australians in travelling have always been very open to trying travelling in different ways and wanting to explore region to region and as soon as you get to Europe, I think it's very obvious, uh, particularly as you're travelling independently, that the train is everywhere and takes you to where you need to go. So I think early on Australians adopted that means and the more they've gone back to Europe, the more they've explored it, the more they've understood the value of the rail travel, um, the more they've experienced high-speed trains which have evolved in the last 15, 20 years. Um, and the experience on board and just that general freedom of hopping on a train from one city, enjoying that experience and seeing the world pass by you and then getting off in the centre of the next city. Now, Richard, um, Aussies are intrepid travellers, to say the least. They'll go anywhere. Uh, and um, so what are some of the most popular routes that Australians are taking by train uh, across Europe at the moment and um, you know, with the cost of airfares being what they are, are rail tickets working in our favour? Yeah, on a couple of points, I mean, of course, there's a number of different train routes that always are the, the high-flying routes that people travel on, Eurostar being the number one between London, Paris, Amsterdam and Brussels. But, of course, you've got the points with high-speed rail now evolving down the spine of Italy, shall we say, from Venice all the way down to Rome. Um, you've got obviously many, many Aussies traveling across routes up and down Italy. 
France is, still remains to be one of the number one destinations for Australians to spend time in and taking TGV from Paris out to the regions, whether it's to the Loire Valley, whether it's to Champagne and Strasbourg in the east or obviously down south to Nice, to Lyon, um, to Montpellier. And, of course, the latest boom has been in Spain with the evolution of so much high-speed rail. Um, Aussies travelling all around Spain and knowing now they can do that mostly by high-speed and other fairly lovely, comfortable train trips. And the, I suppose the, the cherry on top of the cake is Switzerland. Um, and that will continue to always be popular with travelling, um, you know, right through Switzerland using their incredible integrated um, transport system. In terms of, obviously, the with train tickets, I mean, the interesting thing with train travel now is that in Europe itself, not just globally, it's now become the go-to first preference of how people do want to travel within a reasonable distance. Um, so the trains in Europe are incredibly busy. They're, they're well-travelled, they're well-booked, and there's not a train that's going out that's sitting there empty. The trains are actually pretty full. So that means there is always a bit more pressure now on access to cheap train tickets and sometimes getting a seat on certain trains, particularly in peak periods, weekends, holiday weekends, peak times when people are moving from city to region. Um, however, normally, particularly in Australia, people train that, you know, um, plan their travel well in, in advance. And that means that they, they're getting access usually to the trains and booking a bit earlier than your normal Europeans would be. So which also means that, you know, the, the value and the pricing of train tickets is still there if you're if you're grabbing tickets as early as you can. Yeah, maybe I can add to that that indeed, of course, uh, Aussies need to fly to Europe. But then if you look at the modes of transport that they use, um, yeah, train is, um, let's say, the first priority or the, the most um, uh, the transport form that they consider most. And then it, that is followed by uh, cars and by buses. And there is also, of course, the difficulty uh, by traveling from, with a single point-to-point -point ticket and also the pass. Um, and what um, jo um, Rich is saying is indeed, it's getting more crowded in the trains. You maybe need to make a reservations. And then if you travel with the pass, you also have the flexibility uh, to take a train later or maybe going to a, a different destination. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely confirm. And we also see in our data that Switzerland this year is really um, the top uh, destination where uh, Aussies are going. Um, I've been there myself two weeks ago and it is um, a summer and winter destination. That's what most people um, don't know. But yeah, you can go two times, maybe three times a year and you see a different, completely different scenery. Um, and that's also what we see. Seasonality um, yeah, becomes less important and especially from overseas travelers we do see them traveling whole year around and not only in the summer peaks or the, the European summer peaks, which uh, are around indeed um, May from August. Yeah, haven't got to Switzerland yet, but uh, that's on the bucket list. Um, just going back on a point that you made, Rich, about the, the variety of choice and the, obviously you, you rattle off a number of countries that have got extensive rail networks. Does this mean that we need a lot more training and education for both travel agents and travellers about what's out there? Sure. I mean, there's always the challenge with any travel product in a continent like Europe, which is expansive, and now rail, you know, covers all of Europe and continues 
to grow and with more rail tracks being laid and more trains running in many different configurations, um, it's really quite an evolving landscape. I mean, one of the interesting points talking about that to show that point is the evolution recently again of night trains. So many years ago, when I first started Ray Europe, we sold quite a, a large degree of night trains. And as high speed rail tracks were laid and more trains ran quickly and quicker, night trains become became a bit irrelevant. And then in recent times with the whole focus on sustainability and trying to be more, you know, environmentally respectful, people have gone back to taking the train and, again, are happy to take the slow option and, and travel across Europe by night, again by train, whereas before they were opting for high-speed rail and also low-cost carriers by air. Um, so that means that you've now got the re-emergence of more product going in different areas and going from different point to point. Um, so again, that in itself requires ongoing education, training, and for the agents to understand how they can best access it. I think on the other hand, to balance that out, the distribution tools like Rail Europe's Easy Rail Access has made it easier now for agents to actually book and transact. We've moved beyond the clunky old systems and distribution tools we used to have to more slick you know, easier um, systems, it's easier to put in, I want to go from point A to point B, this is my class, these are my dates, and, you know, this is the selection that I get when I push select. So the functionality, the the systems in itself, the sophistications growing all the time, we're rolling out more and more functionality and trying to make it easier, even for, you know, the agent that might hop on and make a rail booking every six months to successfully be able to transact and understand. But in saying that, as I said, there's evolution in classes of service, the types of trains that are running. So there's always many layers of information that an agent you know, ideally would want to understand to make the best decision for them and their customer. Well, with that evolving technology, uh, it's one thing for the agents to, uh, for travel agents to uh, be right across that and be uh, uh, educated as that progresses and that evolves. But for a traveller, do um, is there much training needed uh, for a traveller to uh, uh, you know successfully navigate their tickets uh, and make sure that they're uh, maximising um, what their tickets can do? I mean, I think part of it is always the traveller, particularly in Aussie, will always do a certain amount of desktop research. So I think all the information these days for what you need is always there, but it's how you might access that and how you might digest that. Um, and URL probably Judy, Jody can add um, a few points there about how URL also try to present that to the customer. We obviously do our bit. We try to present as much information we can to the end consumer as well as to the agent. Um, but part of, you know, URL's platform and what they push is, again, trying to best position their product and, you know, try to simplify their offer. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, how you need to travel with our uh, with our product nowadays is uh, with the mobile pass and um, you need to download um, an app. And uh, via that app, you can keep track on, on your whole itinerary and you check in the trains and you check out the trains. Um, but we also developed this app, of course, um, to make the planning for uh, customers easier because it's indeed what Rich is saying. Um, you, you go to the timetable within the app and it easily shows you the connections cross-border. 
And that was something that was maybe a little bit missing. And then, yeah, if you use that in combination with the pass, um, that makes it for uh, users, yeah, easier, especially from users, um, yeah, outside of Europe, because they are maybe less familiar with how the train systems work. Uh, we try to facilitate in that to make it as easy and simple for them uh, to travel within uh, within the countries in Europe. Okay. Now, Jody, uh, just changing tack, um, changing track a little bit here. Uh, France is a, is a is a very popular destination for Australians, as Richard said earlier. Um, France is uh, a new law has come into effect in France in uh, the in recent weeks, uh, banning. Uh, flights, spanning short flights on short distances where a train can do the same distance in two and a half hours. Now, that law is now in effect. It was first announced a few years ago back. But what trends has Eurail seen uh, in terms of changing passenger behavior as a result of that? Yeah, um, first of all, we see, um, of course, um, a, a positive trend in the amount of passengers that travel by train. I think uh, since 10 years, 2013 till now, we see really, uh, yeah, increase, a slow increase every year. And we want to compare, um, yeah, our passengers from 2022 with 2019, because that was before uh, the pandemic, of course. And then we have a uh, grow of uh, 43% in passengers. So we do see the appetite to travel by train, yeah, is really uh, growing and there are of course several reasons behind that and also the change in behavior uh, Richard already told um, the investment in new night uh, night trains the investment in high-speed uh, trains um, the European sleeper recently started it's a train from Ber um, from Brussels to Berlin a night train which is also um, going to be part of our pass network um, what we also do see related to travel behavior is that people also want to take more time to travel. It's a new topic that we are also investigating, which is called slow travel. Um, people take the time. Um, they don't want to rush uh, and see all the capital cities, which is, of course, also possible. And if you go the first time to the Europe, you want to tick off some boxes uh, to visit some big destinations. But if we look into the data, we also see that people go to the lesser known destinations, the smaller towns, the smaller places. And maybe this has also a little bit due, um, due to the fact of COVID that people want to avoid uh, crowded places. And it's actually a positive effect of uh, where people travel. And that's also what we want to push uh, to go one stop further um, and, and, and try to travel out of the beaten, uh, beaten tracks. So that is something that we, we do see. Um, yeah, I already uh, told a little bit about the seasonality of travel. It used to be always, um, yeah, um, very, very crowded in the summers. And then you had a little bit of travel in the winters. And now we do see, um, yeah, across the year, um, yeah, more travel in general. So I think there are, yeah, a few things that we've seen in, um, changing behavior of our travelers. And just to add to that, Matt, what's really interesting now, if you look at rail travel across Europe period, compared to pre-pandemic, it's already at about 130%. So this is the sheer volume of people that are traveling by train. And that is very much led by the whole sustainability piece, people openly and actively choosing train travel over flight or over coach or car. Um, and the European Union is spending billions of dollars and not in 10 years, but now 
to again work with the carriers across each country to further optimize their systems, not just the tracks, but also signaling signaling systems and things that enable them to run more trains quickly because they know they've got a, a surging demand for people traveling on the train. Their carriers want to run more trains, but they need the infrastructure in place to also do that. So again, it just shows this whole push across all of Europe for people to actually start to move mass by train compared to plane. And what France have done, we know that the other countries are actively looking to see the response and how that's managed. And I would be you know, not surprised at all if the likes of Germany and Switzerland and Spain and Italy and all the other countries involved actually start to also um, apply similar um, legislation. So forcing people onto trains, V-planes for that, you said that that it's sort of immediate small to medium distance travel. Can rail handle that demand? Well, this is why they're investing now in the money they are to ensure that they can actually manage and handle the demand, yeah? So, and it also what you've got to add to this is you've had the deregulation of rail happening over many years. So historically, you know, like Trenitalia ran trains in Italy, SNCF ran train in France, and one couldn't run trains in the other. Now, as a carrier, you can run trains in any other countries. And that's what's happened in Italy. That's what's happened in Spain. Um, It's what's happening in France. So now other carriers are moving in because they know there's, there's a need for more capacity and there's opportunity to do more business. So both the the further, I suppose, the rationalisation and improvement of the running of trains, signalling systems, as well as competition coming in to run more services, especially on the key routes, yeah, that all will help meet demand um, as it continues to rise. But that's also why we're seeing now in Europe, um, you know, in terms of if people are going to book trains sometimes a little bit later than normal, which is also a pattern that's come out of COVID, of course, then sometimes agents come to us and go, we don't understand, we can't confirm this train, why can't we confirm it? Well, because the train's full. I don't believe you. What do you mean? The train can't be full. <laughs> no, it's full. Um, and if you go to Europe, like I've been in recent times, you, you see that, yeah? The trains are busy no matter what time of year um, that you're travelling. It's not like you don't hop on a station now and go, oh, this train's half empty, yeah? The trains are pretty full. But everybody gets a seat. We're not, we're not going to see Europe become like the trains in India no. where they're hanging off hanging on the roof. <laughs> it's Europe. Man. No. It's Europe. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I think Richard is maybe also talking a little bit about the longer distant tracks. Uh, if you want to make a, a, a long track, for example, from Paris to Barcelona, then yeah, please be sure that you book your reservation in advance. But if you want to make the stops in between and you want to take the local carriers, the maybe the slower trains where you can join the uh, the scenery, uh, see maybe something things that you didn't expect it. Uh, these trains, there is a lot of capacity uh, still available and there you still have the flexibility um, to hop on and hop off basically um, with the product that we offer at the moment. So it's more for the longer uh, distance tracks um, that yeah, capacity can be an issue. And obviously the decision by the, the French government was made because of the emissions that, that planes generate. I mean, can you guys talk a little bit about why rail is a greener option? What, what it, particularly it is about rail that makes it better for the environment? 
I'm not an environmental uh, specialist, but of course it is greener. Um, uh, yeah, the average um, carbon emission per passenger uh, when you travel by rail is less than if you travel by plane. Um, yeah, we also show in our app uh, the amount of uh, carbon emission that you save if you take the train instead of taking the plane. So it's something that we do focus on, but it's not only about the environmental uh, aspect, of course. Um, yeah, that that we that we say to our customers um, to to travel by train. There are a lot of more things why uh, train versus plane um, is an interesting option to travel, and especially in Europe, you can think about. Um, yeah, the travel actually starts when you when you when you join um, or sit in the train. You can watch outside. It's a comfortable mode of transport. You have the way to walk in the train. Um, you can sit in the restaurant. You can have a, a proper dinner uh, in some of the trains. Um, and it's still the flexibility. If you um, miss a flight, you're stuck at the airport. You need to wait. Uh, and that's different when when that happens with a train because not all trains are running on time. Most of them do, but of course you can uh, experience delays. But then uh, you don't have to stress of to worry because there's always another train. Uh, yeah, maybe in an hour uh, that you can take to to continue your journey. So if you com uh, compare aspects of traveling by train and plane, there's so many things. You don't have to wait uh, at the airport in the lines uh, to, to, to get through customs. You can bring luggage on board. You don't have to pay extra for that. Um, yeah, so there are several aspects. Um, yeah, why train um, yeah, is a nice way uh, to travel compared to, to plane. And, and of course, yeah, to, to sum it up, yeah. I mean, trains emit 90% less CO2 than airplanes per passenger per kilometre, yeah? Yeah. So that in itself is enough for people. Green. Particularly in Europe, what's very clear to me actually is in Europe, the whole question of sustainability and the impact on environment is very front of mind. So people are very conscious of making what decisions, choices they make that impact and are true to their sentiment and belief far more than, to be honest, what we have at this stage, I think, in Australia and other parts of the world. So I think that they're very tuned into then what the rail carriers are doing and how they're trying to lead the charge in making travel green. The other element which is important to remember is there's a big push in Europe also with part of this whole sustainability is about mass transit um, and mobility. So it's not just about the train, but also then what people do getting to the station and then getting from the station back to where they want to go in terms of a mass transit mobility aspect. So push bikes using, you know, like um, all the, the grabs and the, the mix of transport options, but more mass transit rather than people hopping in individual cars to then drive from point A to point B. It's all part of that picture of Europe's plan to effectively reduce their emissions, yeah, and to be a bit more Fair. environmentally sustainable. Fair enough. Now, Richard, um, Europe's rail network, as you mentioned, is with the deregulation has brought new operators. There's so many new tracks. There's so many new fares. Uh, it can be quite a convoluted exercise trying to uh, figure out uh, all the different fares and all the options and everything that you need to know and what you can do. Uh, how how confident are Australians when it comes to booking uh, their rail tickets? Um, do they have the knowledge and the know-how to and the, and the confidence to be able to do that directly? Or is a travel agent really essential for that um, product? 
Well, I think Aussie is a, a fairly robust and, as you said before, brave travellers and fairly intrepid. So, you know, they are and they're, they're well educated because they've travelled before to many parts of the globe, usually multiple times. So I don't think they're too scared of booking train tickets. But I think what the Australian traveller wants to try and do is they might get a sense of where they want to go. But I think now more than ever, they're a bit more reliant on the travel agent to help them build everything together and to make sure they're providing them the best possible advice and that bit of backup support. So if something goes wrong, then they can land it in the, in the hands of the travel agent rather than tackling it themselves. Are there any common mistakes that you see regularly? Not so much mistakes, but it's more probably understanding they might go, oh, great, I've just booked this rail ticket and it was really cheap, and then realising that, oh, hang on, it's it's a non-refundable, non-changeable ticket, so ultimately they, they can't actually just change the date um, and, and or change the route. They have to burn that ticket and buy another one, whereas an agent would go, well, if you did, sure, we can get the cheaper ticket, but obviously there's a cost to that. You just have to burn it and book another one. Um, and also probably giving the client that advice up front about, well, how much rail travel are you doing, yeah? So if you're doing X, then you probably better value to look and book a year rail pass compared to booking a point-to-point tickets. Or, you know, depending how how comfortable are you on using a mobile device. If you're not comfortable using a mobile device, then actually using a URL pass now is a bit challenged because everything is on a mobile app. Um, but if you're comfortable using a mobile device and you want the flexibility, then obviously taking URL pass is still the smart way to travel and explore Europe. So yeah, and it's also interesting right. to see. Yeah, I, I think there are, of course, different type of travelers. But if we compare our uh, uh, customers from Australia to, let's say, the average uh, overseas customer, um, the the time that they spend in Europe is often a bit longer. So we also see that the passes that they buy um, are the longer validity passes. So um, the popular passes uh, are uh, five days uh, tr- of travel within month and seven days of travel within months. But among the Australians, we do see that they buy uh, the 10 and 15 days passes for one month or even um, the, the longer passes for two months validity. Um, so that's also, yeah, depending, of course, what people are wanting to do. But I think this is also, um, yeah, interesting to see the, the difference and what type of holiday um, they want to have. And based on that, they can decide, um, yeah, what, what type of pass fits their um, travel needs best. Jenny, are you seeing any particular age uh, of traveller? I mean, I've always thought train travel was a great option for young people trying to, you know, get round and see as much as possible on the, not on the cheap, but, you know, as cheaply as they can. Uh, is that still the case or are you seeing a, a general age range across all ages? Yeah, from um, the customers around Europe, um, the majority is still youth, but we do see a big group of adults. And for overseas travelers, so also for Australian travelers, um, the majority are actually adults. And we have three um, uh, ranges of categories. The youth is still 27. Um, the adults are till 60. And then you have the 60 plus pass. Then you also get a, a discount. But we also do see, um, yeah, a, a lot of uh, travelers in this category. But if you look at Australia, then the majority of travelers are um adults, so between 27 and uh, 60 years old. 
We also see families um, as a growing uh, group. Um, you can bring kids on the train for free um, till the age of 12. Um, so that's also yeah, an advantage um, if you compare it with other modes of transport, especially plane. Of course, you need to fly to Europe, but then within the trains, uh, you, you can bring your kids. Okay. Well, guys, um, this has been fascinating and we could talk about this for hours. I'm sure there's so many different points and topics that we could un, uh, unpack, but we do need to uh, wrap it up there. So uh, the last question that I'll put to both of you is uh, it's become a bit of a tradition now on Talking Travel. We ask our guests uh, where in the world they're looking forward to traveling most themselves this year. So Jody, where in the world are you off to this year? <laughs> Um, I'm just back from holiday. Um, of course, I traveled with a, with an interrail pass and I traveled all the way from Amsterdam to the south of Italy uh, with some stops in between. Um, within Switzerland, we took some time. We went up to the mountains and then we went uh, via big city Milan to the south of Italy where we traveled around, which is really an itinerary which I would recommend to others. And I'm lucky that I will travel uh, this summer again. At the end of summer, I will travel to Greece. And uh, we also have the Greece Island Pass. So you can travel um, within, uh, between the islands uh, with our pass and you can take some of the ferries. So that's what I'm going to do uh, at the end of summer. So yeah, I'm happy uh, that I work for this company and I'm able to do that. But yeah, I'm making um, uh, my friends enthusiastic to travel by train uh, as well uh, within Europe. So, yeah, my, my go-to destination is somewhere in Europe. <laughs> How about you, Richard? You're, you must be on first-name terms with uh, the people at Sydney Airport or Melbourne Airport. Yes, uh, I'm um, off again travelling soon, actually. I'm heading into Southeast Asia to start um, and spending some time in the Philippines and then um, coming back across to Europe and actually heading to Puglia in Italy, of course, by train. That's where I've been uh, recently. Ah. So, you have yeah, to share some it's, secrets. Jody. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah so of course. Spending some t ten days in Italy before I head back to Southeast Asia to do a bit more business before I head back to Australia. So, that's my next adventure. Well, we'll uh, wrap it up there, guys. So, uh, I appreciate your time, and it certainly looks like uh, Rail has a very bright future. And uh, we look forward to seeing um, where it goes from here. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to chat with all. Yeah, thank you. And, um, let's yeah. all um, be safe and enjoy our travels by train. Thanks for listening to Talking Travel. Until next time, travel well, travel safe, but most importantly, travel now.